And they have some um, prayer cards there if you'd like to get one from them and add them to your prayer list. Thank you, brother. I, 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 I was very encouraged by that uh, testimony and what the Lord's doing there. And, uh, and it's kind of that way all over Mexico. I, uh, I did a lot of ministry on the, the other side over in Baja, California, and, uh, and some of the young men there, just some incredible caliber of, of young uh, nationals there that just want to serve the Lord. Uh, there was one young man that uh, they had a Bible institute in Tijuana that uh, they, would, they would all go there Monday through Friday. And their, what they called dorms, um, was quite interesting what these young people were living in. But uh, they would study and then come Friday night, they would, many, many of them, start hitchhiking to get to the city where they needed to get to. And one of the young men actually got hit by a truck. And uh, he had to have reconstructive surgery on his face and uh, just wanted to keep serving the Lord and whatever it took. And uh, I, was, I remember being down there just so encouraged by these young folks. But appreciate that and the testimony there and uh, what God's doing. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 8 tonight. <clears throat> and can you turn me down a little bit, uh, Samantha? Thanks. Romans chapter 8, and, uh, and actually I'll hold that spot in Romans 8, and uh, I think we'll start in Colossians 2 this evening, but then we'll come back to Romans 8. Last week I talked a little bit about, about prayer, and quite frankly, one of the biggest hindrances of, of prayer is simply us not praying. Really, the biggest hindrance of us of prayer, you know, because of the blood of Christ, we have access, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And uh, the thing that keeps us out of there is just simply us. And uh, and I wanted to, I, last week I addressed a few uh, kind of false assumptions about prayer, and and uh, today I just want to uh, I want to talk just a little bit about our position with Christ and. It's a topic I like to talk on. I think it's something that we ought to be to revisit from time to time, and uh, and it's really the issue of salvation, forgiveness, justification. What is our standing with the Lord? Um, we very easily fall into not only habitual religious practice many times, but even habitual theology. What I mean by that is this: there 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 are some common theology out there that's not necessarily biblical. But we're just so used to it. Some of it's Catholic influence, some of it's just various things, and we just kind of get used to it, and we don't question, we don't challenge it. What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible say? One of those being, well, you can't pray if you have sin in your life. And uh, I'll tell you what, when do I need to pray more than when I'm struggling with sin? Right? And, uh, and so, in Colossians 2, just as a way of introduction, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, I know that I say that about a lot, but this is just a wonderful passage of Scripture. Colossians 2, look at verse number uh, 12. Uh, I'm sorry, not 12, uh, 13. And I'm sorry, it's a little distracting to turn it down just a little bit more. Great, thanks. Um, it says in uh, verse number 13, And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of the flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So in our natural state, the way we start, we are dead in our sins and uncircumcision of the flesh. And, and he's using kind of an illustration by using that very uncomfortable word, 
uncircumcision. What he's saying is that old flesh, that old sinful flesh is still, is still there, and uh, that, that fleshly nature, if you would, that person, when you get saved, hath he quickened, that word uh, is, it means to be made alive, quickened with him, with Christ, and how did he do that? And having forgiven you all trespasses. Now I have a quick question, can somebody uh, uh, quantify how many all represents? <laughs> all. Well, I, you know, well, Jesus told Peter, you know, 70 times 7. So I think that's how many God forgave. Uh, no, no, all. All means all. Does it mean all in Spanish, brother? It means all, yeah. Todos. <laughs> uh, in, in Greek, it also means all. And uh, probably any other language we can look at, it means all. And all means all, and that's all it ever means. Having forgiven you all trespasses. And I love this, what he does with it. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Hey, if you're saved tonight, where are your sins? On the cross of Calvary. Amen. You know, I tell this uh, story a lot, so I'm sorry if I keep saying it, but, uh, but uh, what would happen in, those, day, in the, those Bible times, even if you had a prison sentence, what they would do is they would put the, the, the laws that were broken over the jail cell so everyone would see this is what the person was doing time for. Same thing would happen. The reason uh, they, they, would, they, would take a, they would crucify people at a, uh, a common pathway or a common street so that everybody can look upon them as a very public and open example. This is what we do to the enemies of Rome. And what they would do is they would put a sign or a placard above the person that was being crucified for the crime for which they were being crucified of. All right? Now, what was on Jesus' sign? King of the Jews. Why did he say that? Is that what he was crucified? That, that's all the Jews had on him, right? Or they, 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 they were just trying to find something. So they said, he made himself to be king. We have one king, Caesar. All of a sudden, they're going to be good citizens, right? <laughs> and honor, honor Caesar. And... Um, and so that's what it said. Well, according to this passage, what else was on, that, was on that sign? Or what other signs were added? My sins. The list of my sins. The list of your sins. And, uh, and I'll just tell you, this is, uh, this is me, all right? This is, this is Aaron's theology. When, uh, I, here's what I believe took place. You know, there was three hours of darkness. I believe in that time, time stood still. And as I look at this passage, nailing that handwriting ornament to the cross, well, when did that take place? Just in my mind's eye, I can see God just going name by name, person by person that would ever live, putting it before Jesus. Are you dying for this person? Yes. And he nails that up there. Are you dying for this person? Yes. He nails that up there. He died for the sins of the whole world. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You say, what do you mean he, he paid for the sins of every single person? What about, what about people that don't get saved? What about people that don't put their trust in him? He died for their sins as well. In fact, in, uh, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Get this now. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That is the acceptable substitutionary sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not our sins only, but the sins of the whole elect. No, no, no. The sins of the whole world. 
You see, when someone dies rejecting Christ, they die an unnecessary death because their sins have been paid for. All those sins were nailed to the cross. And so when you die in your sins, really, you're guilty of the blood of Christ. You're guilty of, that, of, of, of your sins being put upon him. You're guilty of it. So when you're saved, by the, by, because of the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand, he says, you've been quickened together with him. You've been made alive with him as he has forgiven you of all trespasses and sins. Now, you would not believe how contentious this, of a topic this can be. I've had a lot of discussions with, with a lot of pastors that would raise basically almost to the point of accusing me of heresy that God has forgiven me of all of my sins. Even the ones I have not yet committed. You say, future sins? How can he forgive your sins you haven't even done yet? Well, I hadn't done them yet when he died for them. <laughs> and by the way, what love is that? The omniscient God to know ahead of time how I will betray him, how I will hurt him, and he still loves me and forgives me knowing it's coming. You know, if I knew my wife was going to like wrong me one day, we're just going to have this all-out fight, and it's just going to be horrible. And if I, saw, if I knew it was coming, I probably just would not come home that day. <laughs> right? And yet, day after day, God says, come again. Come again. Let's, let's talk. Let's commune. Let's, let's, uh, let's, in fact, why don't you come to this place that, that, that its sole purpose is to dispense mercy and grace. I call it the throne of grace. Why don't you come to this place. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when I'm struggling with those difficulties, or I'm struggling to please God, or I'm struggling knowing I'm not where I ought to be, there's a place for, for grace to help in time of need. And he says, why don't you just come back again? Let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. So, I was having a discussion with a, a preacher, and I was going through Romans chapter 8. I love this chapter. And we quote that verse all the time. There is now therefore no condemnation... If you have your Bibles there, chapter 8, Romans 8. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are, uh, which are in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause there for a minute. That's usually all we quote. And, uh, and if I were to back up a little bit, in Romans 7, Paul is making this big issue about the law and, uh, and really kind of two laws going on, the spiritual law and the fleshly law. And, and, uh, and he says this in Romans 8. He uses the illustration of marriage. When one spouse dies... Uh, then, then you are free, you've fulfilled your commitment to that spouse and can be married to another. And what he says is the law is dead because of Christ. So that we can uh, uh, engage, if you would, in a spiritual law. And, uh, and that's kind of what goes on back and forth. And, and I love what he says because he talks about verse number, uh, if we back up just a little bit, uh, Romans 7, verse 23. Uh, verse, uh, look at verse 22. Boy, I want to read the whole thing. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's the spiritual. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into, captiv uh, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, 
which is in my members. He says, there are two laws going on. There's the spiritual law, the law of grace that's in my heart. There is the outward law that I'm struggling with my flesh, and that is, that is living, uh, according to the law, if you would, this living in the flesh. And then, uh, and then he says this, oh, wretched man that I am. By the way, I just want to say this, Christians. We ought to revisit verse 24 often. You know, when we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, don't change it to saved a one like me. Let's be honest, saved a wretch like me. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body, uh, the body of this death? Now, Paul sounds incredibly defeated here. And I would think, you know, as he, as he says, man, what's, what's next? Why? And what amazes me is this, the next three words, I thank God. <laughs> Why are those two next three words? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore, now no condemnation. Now the therefore, he's talking about this old law which is dead, which is really what chapter 7 is all about. There's no, for, there, no condemnation to the, with them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, if we just take that verse by itself, here's what it looks like it's saying. Well, if you're living according to the Spirit, then you're not condemned. Which kind of makes sense in our thinking, right? If I'm living a godly life, I'm not condemned. Um, you know, but, but, then, but then if I live after the flesh, the implication could be, uh, well, you're condemned, of course, if you're doing wrong. You're condemned if you're living after the flesh. And so I want to dive into this just a little bit, this chapter. Verse 2. So we're seeing two aspects. We see the spirit. We see the flesh. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So again, we have two laws. The law of the spirit. What has it done? It has freed me to the law, from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What did Jesus accomplish when he came? He fulfilled the requirement of the law and condemned it in the flesh. Because you and I could never measure up to God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. I have a... Uh, I have a great little book in my, uh, my library. I, like to, uh, I have several copies. I like to give them out. And uh, it's called Done, What Most Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible. And, uh, and really, it boils down there are two main religions in the world. There's what must you do to be righteous, what must you do to be in right standing with God, or what has been done for you that makes you in right standing with God. And it starts off with such a wonderful illustration. It talks about trying to jump to the moon. Okay, now, how have you ever tried jumping to the moon? Okay. Um, and it compared me trying to jump to the moon and like a Shaquille O'Neal when he was younger and healthier. You know, seven feet tall. And uh, he could get a lot closer to the moon than I can. But, you know, we're both so far away from the moon, you couldn't even say either of us are close. And that's kind of like our righteousness in the flesh. Hey, we can look at, say, a Mother Teresa and say, boy, I, I didn't live a life of sacrifice like that, like her. And, you know, she just gave everything to serving others and helping others. And think, wow, she, she had so much more 
if I can use this term righteousness in the flesh, than I could ever have. Right? And on the other side, we can say, well, I'm so much better than a, a Charles Manson who is responsible for, for the death of all these people. Right? I'm so much better than an Osama bin Laden. But all of us, as we jump, get nowhere to the moon. Right? That's, that's kind of the issue. So what did Christ do? He came and he jumped to the moon. And he threw down a rope. You're saying, you're really running with this illustration, aren't you? Yeah, I am. He tossed down a crimson thread. So he says this. Um, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Why? Because Christ condemned it in the flesh. Who walk, now get this now, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now it has this idea again, and, and what our minds do is they jump to these, these ideas that, okay, walking after the flesh is I'm doing right, I'm walking with God, but now, or, I'm sorry, sorry uh, I'm, I'm not doing right, I'm, I'm not walking the way God wants me to walk, walking in the spirit, I'm walking the way God wants me to walk, I'm living for him, and that's, that's kind of our mindset typically when we think of the spirit and the flesh. So let's continue, verse 5. For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, that's another word there for the flesh. That's what carnality means. It means fleshly. In, uh, in Mexico, we have carne asada. Right? That means it's flesh is what that means. Carn, carna, uh, carnal. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. In fact, that's what Romans 7 was talking about. There's this battle going on. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So in the flesh, the carnal mind, the carnal, the carnal person, cannot even mind the things of God. And I want to say this, before you even get saved... You can try to be religious, you can try to be spiritual, but in reality, you, you, you haven't even begun. You haven't even taken that first step to mind the things of God. You missed it. All right? So here's what it says. Uh, it says, neither indeed can be. Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh, get this now, cannot please God. So you cannot please God in the flesh. Are we okay with that so far? You cannot please God in the flesh. Pretty easy statement. Verse number 9, here's the key. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. What is the definition of being in the Spirit? Having the Spirit of God, being saved. And he goes on, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know, it's interesting, some people believe that you get the Spirit later, after you get saved. Here it says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. And this is the key. This verse is so, so awesome. So this is where I get salvation. This is my justification. The Spirit of God puts me in the position of the Spirit. And if Christ be in you, it goes on, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, whose righteousness are we talking about here? Christ in me. His righteousness put in me. Really, there are two 
righteousness is we find in the Bible. There is the righteousness which is of the law. Paul talked much about that. In fact, he talked about his own credentials concerning the righteousness which is of the law. He said he was blameless. Blameless. There was a righteousness that is to be accomplished in the law. But notice what we just saw in chapter 8. It comes so short. But then there is the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus, that he imputes into our account. He puts into our account his own righteousness. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm slowing down a little bit because my brain is uh, thinking of a couple directions right now. Look at verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you... So that would be the Holy Spirit. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. But if, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so now he takes it to a whole other level because you're of the spirit because it's in you here's what we have to do when that flesh shows up the deeds of the flesh uh, we mortify it we cut it off and that's actually uh, in Galatians it talks about uh, uh, this uh, uh, this uh, what salvation is is it's that cutting off of the flesh cut it off and so what are you doing we're mortifying it uh, and so forth so so let me just say let's back up real quick uh, again, verse number 9, if you're, uh, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, it does not say you're not in the flesh if you're living, right? You're not in the flesh if you're obeying the commandments. You're not in the flesh. No, it says if you have the Spirit in you. If any man have not the Spirit, he's not of his. So if we jump back to verse number 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who, these people that are in Christ Jesus, they're walking uh, they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It's interesting, if we were to go ahead a little bit, I really love this passage um, in chapter 10. In chapter 9, in chapter 10, Paul starts turning the direction towards God's plan with Israel. And, uh, and it says in chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. By the way, that's God's desire for Israel also, that they might be saved. And by the way, we ought to be praying for the state of Israel with what's going on right there in the Middle East. We ought to be praying for peace in Jerusalem. He said, My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness. How does a Jew go about to establish his own righteousness? The faithfulness of the law works. Get this now. Here's the key. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. This is so awesome. So here's the Jew working, 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 working. You know, one commandment, two commandments, three commandments, four commandments. You know, he's going through all these, all these commandments and making sure he's doing it to the letter. And, and so much so that I had heard that uh, in certain hotels, if you're over there in Israel, on the Sabbath day, the buttons don't work on the elevator. Because that's work. 
so the buttons just kind of hit every level, and you get off when you get off. They don't want you working on the Sabbath. And I mean, I mean, little things like that, right? And, um, and uh, so what does he say there? They have not exchanged one religion. It's not that he wants them to exchange one religion for another. It's that they've been work, 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 work. And he says, no, 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 you don't need to do all that. You simply submit to the work that's already been done. Because Christ is the end of the law. And he goes on even further, verse number 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. And in the books of Moses, it does use, it does use that language. Verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, saying not in the, uh, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend to the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the key, thou shalt be saved. Folks, what the Jews are struggling with is not new. Because we all struggle with it. To simply submit to the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of God, which is by faith. I think I shared it a little bit last week in Romans chapter uh, 4. Romans chapter 4, if we back up just a little bit. Talks about Abraham and Abraham's faith. And uh, in chapter 4, verse number 2, using Abraham as an illustration, example, if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherever to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That, uh, that simple act of belief in God, God, God took that act and said that was righteous. He counted it for righteousness. Verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So, so what it's saying is, if I'm working towards righteousness, what I'm doing is I'm working off a debt. I'm like paying a loan. Right? Um, if, uh, if my bank were to send me a, 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 a loan statement every month, it says, alright, here's what you owe. And I, and, I, and I send them the check, you see. It's not a grace thing that they're giving me this, this notice that I have another payment due on my house. No, I'm working off debt, right? And, um, but if they decided one day, they send me this note that says, you know what, you've been so good at paying your mortgage, uh, we're just going to forgive the rest of the loan. That would be called what? Grace, you see. And by the way, I'd have nowhere to glory there. Who would get the glory? I'd tell everybody about my bank that forgave my debt, right? And, uh, and, and that's, that's the idea. I can't brag. Oh, I paid my payment. Well, good. You're supposed to. Right? For what saith the Scripture, Abraham believed God, verse 3, and it was counted him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him who justifieth the ungodly. Who does God justify? The ungodly. Folks, I don't have to get to a certain level with God before He'll save me. He will save me as I am. He will save me in my sinful state. He justifies the ungodly, the ones who do not deserve it. His faith is counter for righteousness. Then he goes and quotes David, and I love this. Even as David, 
also describe the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now this ought to blow the Jew's mind as I read this. You mean I can get righteousness without works? And that's what David was referencing? That's what he was talking about? Way back when? Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not sin. So on the one hand, he says, I'm not making a record of your sin. On the other hand, he's saying, but I am putting into your account righteousness without being attached to any works. Folks, that's the grace of God. That's the righteousness of God because of Jesus Christ. So he says, well, who is he talking about there? Verse 9, cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision or the Jews only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision before God gave him a law or a rule? Or in uns- I'm sorry, sorry, after God gave him a rule? Or in uncircumcision before God gave him a rule? He says, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. You say, what, what is all that talking about? Before God ever told Abraham to go get circumcised as the sign of a Jew of his, of his covenant... I believe it was 14 years prior when he said, Abraham, come follow me. I'm going to show you a city that you don't know about. And he simply believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He said, was it an act of, of, of a law when he says, do this? Or was it an act of belief before any law was given, before any circumcision was required? And he says it was in uncircumcision, or, or that's a type of before law. There was no law given, if you would, in that time. So that's what he lays out. And so he goes on, and I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. We sang chapter 5, the first couple of verses. Therefore being justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we start putting all this together, and I know I jumped all over the place. I'd love to do a verse-by-verse through Romans sometime. It is a very deep book. But we come back to Romans 8.1. We come full circle. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And these people who are in Christ Jesus, what happens? They walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You say, well, preacher, I mess up. I do sin. And that's what we do. do. We violate God's Word all the time. We violate His character all the time. But I I want to say this. There is nothing that you have to do to become righteous with God. And on the flip side, there is nothing you can do to lose righteousness with God. That He makes me righteous. Then, as we're in chapter 8, I'm out of time. I really love to do the whole chapter. He begins talking about the future reward. He begins talking about how how God's going to bring us through circumstances. And, and uh, verse 15 in chapter 8, you've been not, uh, not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, this relationship aspect that is based on the Spirit itself bearing with us with our spirits, that we are the children of God. There's that confirmation in the heart of our position with God. And if children, then heirs, joint heirs of God, and joint, uh, or heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, 
that we may be also glorified together with him. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so he talks about how, how in this life we're going to have sufferings and we take it patiently. We keep following him and there's a reward that's attached to it. And then he goes on and starts talking about the redemption of the body, the future. So we see justification in there. We see, we see sanctification. As he says, mortify, therefore, uh, the deeds of the flesh. And, and, and we're growing in the Lord, and he's going to suffer, allow us to suffer, and going to purge us a little bit along the way. I was going to teach you guys a new song tonight, but hopefully we can get around to it next week, uh, called Rejoice in the Lord, as, as we learn to suffer, as God wants to glorify uh, himself in us through suffering. Talks about uh, verse uh, verse twenty three, the redemption of the body, and and then it goes on uh, uh, verse number twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our shortcomings, the way areas we fail God, the areas we come short of the glory of God. He helps our infirmities. How? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and He searcheth the hearts. No, and uh, he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. Get this, according to the will of God. As he's praying for us, as you and I pray, the Spirit of God is praying, uh, Father, here's really what he needs. Here's really what he means by his prayer. Here's really what, you know, he's praying for, uh, for a new car. But Lord, we know he really needs uh, a new heart. He's praying for this, but we know he needs this. And the Spirit of God is making intercession who knows the mind and the will of the Father and He's interceding on our behalf. And what a wonderful, comforting truth it is. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. By the way, those who are saved are called to a purpose. It's not saying those who are called to be saved. Those who are saved are called to a purpose. For whom He did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So what is God doing? Boy, if, if, if I had time, I might go into it a little more next week. Uh, you say, well, so I guess there's just no consequences. I can just go on sinning. We talked about that a little bit last week. Um, <clears throat> uh, God is purposed to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end goal for us. That's the end result. Quite frankly, the, the account has been settled. The issue is not about tallying up sin or tallying up righteousness. The issue is learning to walk with God as a father and son. As he looks at me and sees me as his son, saying, saying, all right, I have an end in mind for you. And just as a child learning how to walk, I want them to get to the point where they can put one foot in front of the other and not fall down. And every once in a while, they fall down and they stumble. And we pick it up, pick them up and say, okay, what can we learn from this? How can we do make one step further next time? And, and as we get a little bigger, the, the falling, the stumbling hurts a little bit worse. And there are some consequences sometimes attached. And the Lord has to chasten us, Hebrews 12. And when he chastens us, it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. And he's developing in us, but we also have to guard ourselves so we don't fall into bitterness when God is chastening us. And so he says, despise not the chastening of the Lord, and he's making us to this end. All things begin to work together for good to this end to conform us to the image of his Son. Folks, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. But God has a glorious end for us that he is bringing us towards. And that is to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, preacher, well, how do I... How then do I talk to God about this? You just talk to God honestly and openly. 
Do you think God is tricked or confused or in the dark about your sin? So why don't we just talk to him about it? Lord, I'm struggling. Thank you so much for the forgiveness that I've found in Christ. Lord, I'm pleading. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome, to grow, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not let our Christianity become ritualistic, folks. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. It's been this long since my last confession. You know, do our thing. Let's get honest and open with God. Hebrews tells us, in front of, before whom we are all naked and open. He sees it all. You're not going to surprise God. You did what? You thought about what? Oh, Lord, you know all things. Would you help me? Think about how God, Christ so graciously dealt with Peter after Peter denied him. He said, Peter, you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, you love me? Lord, thou knowest all things. You know that I love you. Even if my actions did not match my profession, because I was weak, I denied you. But Lord, you know deep down I love you. You know what I believe the Lord was saying there? I could work with that. I could work with that. Folks, this is the Christian life. Getting honest with the Lord, getting in the Word, learning what it is to mortify the deeds of the flesh, and to walk according to our calling, as He has saved us, putting us in the Spirit, where there is no condemnation. I hope I made sense tonight. I know it's all over the place. I, sometimes I don't use notes, and I just kind of jump around, but uh, uh, appreciate you guys. A any questions? Did that bring up questions? Anybody wanted to, to ask before we close tonight?